and welcome to Clockworks, a Legion podcast. Today we're talking about Legion episode 24, that makes this Clockworks 24, and we are 24 hours a... episodes a day, clock 24. I'm Jan Moffat. Um, you forgot to do your part. I'm Paul Moffat. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> 24 hours a, an episode. Cool. Yes. We're done. <laughs> We're calling this episode What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding. Tennis, what else could we possibly call it? This episode was directed by Arkasha Stevenson and written by Olivia Dufault and Ben H. Winters. Arkasha Stevenson wrote and directed a 2015 movie called Vessels about a young transgender woman in a coal mining town. Uh, she also directed a bunch of episodes of Channel Zero, which is an anthology horror series I have never seen. This is her first work on Legion. Cool. Ben Winters wrote Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters. Ah, uh, cool. I thought I you totally would read that. Yeah. I thought you recognize his name. I'm a, I mean, I don't talk about it on this podcast, but I'm a Jane Austen fangirl. Yes. So he wrote a bunch of other things, but that's his, uh, a bunch of other novels, but that's his, what he, you would know him from, novel. This is his first TV writing credit. Cool. Go Ben Winters. Olivia Default, of course, co-wrote two of the four episodes of Legion so far this season, making this her third. She is slated to write two more, both with Noah Hawley. Would you like Jan to take us through... Jan, the bead but I put the Jan in a weird place that time. <laughs> Just keep saying my name. It's okay. Jan, would you like Jan to take us through the beat by Jan? Beats by Jan. <laughs> so we begin with Tangentially on Legion this time. And then the recap, but I'm not going to go over that part. Two Vermilion drive motorcycles on the highway, followed by a bus also driven by a Vermilion. Daniel is at the back of the bus, talking on the phone to Clark. In the middle of the highway is David. The commandos prepare and speed towards him. David disintegrates the Vermilion and appears inside the bus. He kills everyone on the bus except for Daniel, who tells him that his mind has been trained. David erases his mind and we see flashes of Daniel's life with Clark and their son. He then tells David that Switch is on the airship. The bus pulls into, into Division 3, and they find only Daniel, who has no memory. The title card of Legion appears, growing out of sponges in a fish tank. At the commune, the hippies dance, and there are blue flowers everywhere. More people arrive on the red-yellow school bus. <laughs> David arrives, and they tell him word is out about him, and they all swarm him. Inside, he calls for Lenny and makes them all disappear. Lenny finally emerges and calls David a narcissist, and Lenny is mourning for her baby and regretting her life. David says she's making a choice to mope, and they may be able to get her back. But Lenny laughs and calls him a liar, then stabs herself in the neck and bleeds out on the floor, calling David a blockhead and then asking why it's blue. So, tangentially on Legion. Yeah. 
why tangentially? I mean, like, these these words, uh, apparently on Legion, approximately steps, on Legion, ostensibly, ostensibly on Legion, they're just like words that sound sort of like, that scan sort of like previously, so it's mm-hmm. funny to replace them. Yeah. But also, as we have said before on this show, whether it is done with purpose or not, once it's there, it's there to be interpreted by the reader. So mm-hmm. tangentially on Legion means that everything we've seen has not been the main plot. Yeah. Right? Exactly. Which I kind of buy, actually. Mm-hmm. That, or not so much that nothing we've seen has been the main plot, but there's a lot of distraction on yes. the show in general. Yes, that's a good call. And it's like one of our interpretive tasks is to understand what is the main story here Mm -hmm. you know and last week specifically did seem like a tangent because it was all about the uh time travel the time demons which then david just defeated and so it's like here was a distraction here was a tangent that we went on where you know lenny had this daughter who lived a whole life and stuff and that was just that was not the next thing that should have happened yeah, and even the thing about, like, the story about her daughter is is uh, framed as tangentially on Legion, because we talked about this last episode, like, that both happened and also didn't. And that's going to happen, I mean, in this section you just recapped, mm-hmm. it really did happen. Like, David says, that was a trick, like my mother, and Lenny says, no, it happened. Yeah. And they are both right? Yeah. It was kind of a tangent. Mm-hmm. But also, it absolutely mattered. Yeah. The way that David uh, approaches this bus in the, with the Vermilion and the soldiers and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, first, he just like, with the Vermilion, he just shatters them because they're not human. But when, when it comes to human, he doesn't, he used to just kind of like, poof, disintegrate people. No, but he did horrible things before. And we thought it was the Shadow King. Yeah. And he, like, put people in concrete in the first season and stuff. But now he's doing that, like, as himself. And, like, the guy begging for his life. And he shoves him, like, through the floor into a bloody mess on the highway. Like, it's visceral deaths yeah. that David is doing. They're very they're not from a distance. They're not snapping his fingers. They're hands on disturbing. I think you're really good to point that out because it's I think a comment on it's it's both a comment on David and also a directorial choice so that we understand the impact. Mm-hmm. Like it's easy for us to minimize the effect of like he snaps his fingers and people disintegrate into dust the way Oliver and Lenny did in division three when they were invading. And it was like the, that minimizes the impact. There's a blood stain on the highway is specifically intended by the director to emphasize the impact. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And like you said, hands on visceral bloody mm-hmm. and the people like we have, you mentioned this, but just to, like, be really uh, explicit about it. 
we have soldiers embedded in the walls of the bus who look just like Lenny embedded in the concrete at Division, I mean, at Clockworks. Right, yeah. Like the same formation. Mm-hmm. David as David is behaving like and having the impact of someone out of control in David's body, that is, Sid in David's body, and the Shadow King at his bloodiest and most brutal. Yeah, exactly. Or, conversely, in season one, just as, like, speaking of tangents, in season one, when he goes to Division 3 to rescue Amy, he kills all these people and does this to him, and we assume that, like, he's out of his mind, he's the Shadow King, but what if he wasn't? What if that had absolutely nothing to do with having Farouk inside of him? I think that's really what's coming out this season, is that, like, David has had all these personalities inside him all along, they're not the ones who made him violent and disturbing. Farouk's not the ones who made him. Farouk is not. They are. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, we have this moment at the beginning of the bus, this moment of vulnerability and intimacy from Daniel. Yeah. Exactly so that it will hurt when we hurt him. Yes, exactly. I think it kind of works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have him and Clark kind of teasing each other. Clark being inappropriate for work, and yeah, we've seen them as a couple, and we really saw them at the end of season one, but then we're see- we've seen them now in season three quite a bit, and yeah, it just hits home this uh, violation that David commits on him. Yep. I love the sponges in the aquarium for the title. Yeah. Legion. Me too. And like on the second watch, I noticed, like we said when we were watching this the first time, I think you said, I think that's a practical effect. Mm-hmm. And watching it a second time, like I am positive it's a practical effect. Yeah. Because it was like there were the, the little pills yeah. at first. And it is exactly those little pills that dissolve and, and the sponge grows underwater. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's any, do you want to make anything of that? Like I love the effect of it. Uh, does it mean anything? I think the fact when you just said pills just now, that is what they look like. And I feel like there's a lot of like medication in this show and drug taking. And also this is the episode where we, where we finally get David saying that he's Legion. And so it's like, it's been hidden and then it's expanded and we see right. what it is. I mean, that's kind of, I don't know, maybe <laughs> taking it too far, but it's very much this little like unexpected thing grows out and this, what it, what looks like something small actually has something huge inside of it. Yeah. Which seems like that's what David is. Something small with something big inside of him. And that's not just this episode. That's the show. But- yeah. And that, like, we've had a real motif this episode, and, I mean, we've had a real motif this season and this whole show of, like, things that aren't what they look like. Yeah, exactly. The tomato that's not an apple, the pill that's a sponge. Yep. Things grow into something you didn't expect them to be. Mm-hmm. In the, uh, commune, cult, whatever we want to call it, mm-hmm. are they're betting on sumo wrestling? 
Yeah, that was weird. I didn't actually mention that in the recap. That he's looking for Lenny and he just goes around and and they're like, it's a bit like it's changed. Yes. There's There's too many people there. Yeah. They are all like doing their hippie things and braiding flowers and stuff. But they're also like, yeah, there's there's something else there that there didn't used to be. They're not just all drugged up. They're also embracing more violence by betting on sumo wrestlers or whatever. The scene of them betting on sumo wrestlers, like it's a little moment, but it kind of reminds me of the moment in Spirited Away when the bathhouse and all the spirits are like, trying to get money from no face mm, interesting do you know what i mean yeah yeah i remember that part it's just like really rowdy all of a sudden yeah in contrast to like it was a relaxed like we've seen a couple of different kinds of behavior and kinds of drugginess from yeah. this cult most of the time, what the blue flowers do is it, they're depressants and they yeah. make them like relaxed and happy and calm. And then when it was red, they were like mosh pitting. And now it's still blue, but they're like crowded and rowdy. And they're like the way that they crowd David, too. Yeah, exactly. Is like they're not just blissed out. No, not anymore. Um,. He makes everyone, except the three, I don't know what to call them, the three hippie chicks. That we've recognized that we before. we recognized before. They've kind of been a constant. Uh, he just makes them all, everyone else disappear. And they're like, you killed them all. And he's like, no, no, I just made them go away. I'm like, yeah, but where did they go? He is really, once again, like I've been saying the whole season, these are just his playthings. These are toys that he's, like, playing with in his little dollhouse. And then, oh, they're not useful anymore? Put them away. And he has literally no idea where they've gone to. He probably has killed them all. But because it doesn't matter to him. Yeah, the way that he reacts, the way that he says they're somewhere else. Yeah. The delivery of that they're somewhere else is, like, does not fill me with confidence. No, it's fairly chilling. And I think exactly what you said Maybe they are somewhere else. Maybe they are still alive. Does he know where? No. Right? Yeah. He exactly. clearly doesn't know where he put them. No. So they might as well be dead. Mm-hmm. Right? Lenny's confrontation with David here. This is, again, like... I feel like this is uh, one of the... Overarching uh, refrains of this podcast. But... Aubrey Plaza is doing amazing work here. Give her all the awards. Please give her all the awards. Oh, my goodness. my goodness. It is, yes. like, heart-wrenching. Absolutely. And so like, good and so good in a completely different way from the way he, she was amazing in season one. Yes, exactly. And um, the emotional range that she has in that scene, the way that she... Uh, is mentally unstable as well as like grief stricken as well as angry she has so many layers of feelings in that moment and it's she plays them so Aubrey Plaza plays them so well and 
I really like, I don't like seeing Lenny stab herself. That was kind of horrible. But also I like that she's just calling David out. She's, uh, she calls him a liar. She just like it. Yeah. It's really good. She calls him a narcissist. And what a, uh, journey she's been on since the beginning of this season. Like, remember what we were saying in episode one of this season was like, man, Lenny really is just David's, uh, gopher. David's... Mm-hmm. David's pawn. Pawn this season. She called in episode two this season. She called herself the major domo, the, like, the head servant. She's casting herself as his servant early in the first episode of couple of episodes of this season mm-hmm. and now she's like the only person who's willing to tell him the truth yeah that moment is like painful because i mean frankly i hate uh <laughs> blood and people stabbing themselves like i i cover my eyes yeah <laughs> uh, or stabbing each other or whatever uh so I didn't like that moment one bit, but I loved it mm-hmm. because I thought it really served its emotional purpose very well. And there was something satisfying is the wrong word and appropriate is even the wrong word, but there was something true about the, I need you, you can't have me. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. That's her like, you can't have me. Lenny's someone he can't have and that's I don't know that that was a really powerful moment and she calls him you blockhead yes so that's Lucy calls Charlie Brown that right yes or does, yeah. yeah blockhead is what Lucy calls Charlie Brown we have I mean we named an episode of our show about Charlie Brown we have David cast as Charlie Brown does that make Lenny is Lucy and she's pulling away Charlie Brown's football? Like stabbing herself mm. in the neck is she's pulling away the football. Uh, and that's kind of what Lenny has always done. Yeah. That's maybe a good point. I like that. So like, okay, we went past it. I want to stop before we leave this scene. Do you have more to say about this scene? No. Before we leave this exchange, uh, the other moment that really stood out in this exchange between David and Lenny here is that, like, she's making the choice to mope. And Lenny is like, mope? Mm Mm-hmm. It's the word choice again that signifies how uh, solipsistic and narcissistic David is. Yeah. Because other people's, his emotional trauma is all-consuming, is important and real, and other people's emotional trauma is petty and selfish. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Right? And he frames it also as the, like, that people have a choice in this uh, commune where they really don't. Yeah, that's also true. Lenny is literally the only one with a choice. Everyone else is just under his influence. I just realized that Blockhead, as well as the whole Charlie Brown thing, we had literal 
block heads in season two gathered around the pit, remember? Oh, yeah. Guys with safes on their heads. (laughs) Right. Huh. Yeah. And we have, not as characters, but we have a motif in this whole season of, like, in the credits and the post-credits, like, uh, wind-up toys Mm -hmm. with block heads. In fact, in a little moment, we're going to have Switch toy falling off and her block head is going to fall off. Yep, it sure is. So blockheads are robots or wind-up toys this season. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yep. Definitely I didn't think of that at all. Hmm. So we hear Switch's time travel lesson again and see her eating with her father with him still on the TV screen. Switch stands with her back to the mirror, revealing that she has a wind-up key on her neck. A toy version of Switch falls off of a table and the head pops off. We fade out from green to reveal that she is in a tank, and Carrie explains that she's invisible from David. Farouk disagrees with what they're doing by hiding and running, but Photonomy tells them they can go into space beyond David's teleportation range. Clark watches a video of his family as they bring the plane up. Farouk communicates telepathically with David, who is in his cave. Farouk tells David that gods don't follow rules. We fade into this section. I just want to draw attention to the last section that you recapped ended with, why is it blue? It's always blue. And then we fade to green. Yes. Yeah, we do. And you mentioned fading out of green. So the the green is all, is the fade into green and the fade out of green is fading into Switch's mind. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. And she's in a green tank thing. So we see, and we, not in this section you just recapped, but after David wakes Switch up, she's going to say that she had the worst dreams. Mm -hmm. So what we see here is Switch's dreams. Do you think? I guess so. Yeah. Or her memories. I don't know. Because I'm fixating on the wind-up key on the back of her neck. Yeah, I don't think that... That's not real. I mean, who knows when the show... She said she sometimes stands in the room and pretends that she's a robot, too. Yeah. Is that wind-up key... I am assuming that wind-up key is Switch's dreaming in this uh, containment tank. And this is representative of her both desire and fear that she's some kind of robot. Yeah, I mean, what else would it be? I mean, it could be that she's a robot. Yes, I guess that's that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> it also, like, for Switch, it's about her fear and also desire that she'd be a robot that is someone that her father collects. Mm-hmm. But it also, for the show, is, like, she's another of David's playthings. Yeah. There's the line in her headphones of time travelers are the loneliest creatures in all existence. Mm-hmm. And that I found that really interesting. And that like the whole robot wind up toy thing that she's lonely. She has no one to wind her up if she's a wind up toy that's a lonely creature. Hmm. Yeah. And so she's a robot that's just sitting there waiting to be wound. And so maybe she's waiting to be wound by David. That's why she likes him. That's why she stays around him. Huh. He winds her up. He winds her up. The headphones also say, 
When one exists in all times, one exists in no time. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's kind of... I mean, that's one of the things we see represented literally and visually with the time demons last episode, that they are only paused and they never they don't exist in any in-between time. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. That translates into loneliness, because if you exist in all time, you exist in no time, you can't really connect with people in the particular moment that they're in. And that's a statement on Switch, but it's also kind of a statement on David this season and this episode. Mm-hmm. That he's acting like none of his actions have any consequences, because he's acting like he exists in all times and therefore exists in no times. And it doesn't matter what he does, and the people that he kills, doesn't they don't really die. The, the things that he do... The things that he does don't really matter mm-hmm. because he can just go back and change it. It's like the concept of time travel is exacerbating David's sense that he is disconnected from everything and only he exists. Yeah, and this godlike feeling that he has. Farouk. I didn't put this in the recap either, is that his whole thing this episode is that they're acting like the rabbit when they uh, running from the wolf when they should be the wolf pursuing the rabbit. Yeah. And I like that. Calls them an army of cowards. If he, if we are the rabbit, he is the wolf. Yeah. They. Yeah. Why is Farouk there? Is still the question that I have. Like, why do they trust him? Why, for his, like, his own reasons, for, for their reasons, why, why is he there? Why do they want him there, and why does he want to be there? I think by the end of this episode, we see that he wants to be there, uh, because he wants David back. Yeah. I guess that's true, yeah. If he has David, then he has ultimate power, because David's more powerful than him. And not just ultimate power. Like, I think he actually, in a selfish and twisted way, but I think he actually wants David, mm-hmm. not just David's power. Yeah, he misses him. Yeah. He misses him, he wants him in the way that, in a kind of parallel way to the way that David wants his toys in the... He doesn't think like he doesn't really think of him as a person, but I think that we're I'm I'm talking about scenes that we haven't gotten to yet, but I think that in his own way Farouk is being sincere when he says that he loves David and mm-hmm. David's his beautiful boy and he's like his son. Yeah. I yep, think that right. is all true to him. Yeah. Which does not I to me <laughs> yeah. doesn't come close to meaning that, that that his behavior to David is acceptable. No. Definitely not. I like the moment when Clark is watching the videos mm-hmm. and we see played back. Like, it doesn't really make sense that there would be home videos of these moments, <laughs> but we see specifically played back the moment from season one where Clark has come out of recovery and says, and uh, Daniel says, there's my handsome guy. Yeah. It really draws attention to how Clark has been... David has scarred Clark physically and has scarred Daniel mentally. Yeah, exactly. And scarred Clark emotionally by and mentally by destroying Daniel's memories. Yeah. 
but the for Clark specifically, the moment of there's my handsome guy. My beautiful boy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and that is a moment of Clark being physically damaged, mm-hmm. scarred by David, and Daniel being uh, supportive of him and encouraging of him in his moment of trauma and recovery. And it is there here in this scene because that is what Clark uh, expects of himself Mm -hmm. to be that for Daniel in his moment of mental scarring and trauma. Yeah. Right. Photonomy says that they can go like into low earth orbit or whatever and (laughs) Carrie's female Carrie's reaction to they're going to space is just like adorable and and very relatable. <laughs> That's exactly how I would feel if someone was like, we're going to go up into space. <laughs> we're going to space? <laughs> yeah. Agreed. A million agree. Um, yeah, totally agree. What is it like? Okay. Patonomy and male uh, Carrie both are like, we'll go into space where he can't reach us. I'm like, upon what are you basing the assumption that space is somewhere he can't reach you? I know, right? Like, it's not just... They're so quickly proved wrong with that. And, like, yeah, what on earth is their logic? They think somehow his teleportation has a limit? They've never thought that before. Like, yeah, that makes no sense to me at all. It, it just makes me think of... I don't often do this on the show, but it makes me think of the Legion comics where Legion, where David takes his girlfriend to the moon. Hmm. Right. Right? Blindfold. In the comics. Right, yes. Uh, like, why, why, why do you assume he can't reach you if you're in space? And then, and Farouk, and then that leads me to, like, Farouk thinks they're being the, the rabbit and David's the wolf. He contacts David. Yeah. He calls David to them. David, and Farouk says he is a strategist. What is his strategy here? He calls David to them. And when we haven't uh, quite gotten to this line, I think, when David appears, he says, take your revenge on them. Mm-hmm. Like he calls David's knowing that David's going to kill everyone on the ship. What is his strategy? This goes back to like, I don't quite understand why he's there. But I think, I mean, he says that he's a spider. Yeah. At the end as well. And is that Farouk is the spider or David is the spider? Farouk. Farouk is the spider. He's not the rabbit, he's the spider. Yeah. So he lured him there to catch him. Yeah. But he fails at it. Yeah. So that's basically his entire motivation is to get to David again. And he doesn't care that David kills everyone else on the ship no, because he has, he has no loyalty to, yeah, to them. Yeah, he has no, no loyalty to them at all. Mm-hmm. On the plane, everyone goes about their business as they ascend into space. David appears and creeps around the plane along with his giggling followers. Security forces are called in, and David transports them all into space. Clark hears footsteps and reaches for his gun, which is changed into a ducky. <laughs> David teleports him into space and he dies frozen. 
Carrie, female Carrie, walks the halls, hearing the giggling. She finds the hippie girls with knives and battles them. Patonomy begins lockdown, retreating into a wall with Vermilion. Sid sleeps in her bedroom, David watching over her. She awakes to him at her window and discusses Farouk, and Sid tells him where Switch is. David tells her he's going to change the past so no one who's died matters. And Sid talks about being betrayed by others and that none of this will happen. She touches his face and switches bodies with him. Sid in David leads David and Sid down the hallway <laughs> to where Carrie has been fighting with the hippies. She tells Carrie to kill her and to kill David. The giggling girls. Yeah. Like, I didn't, I forgot to talk about this last week. Giggling. Yes. Is talk something about giggling. We've heard before. So the um blue meanie esque time demon things uh giggled. Mm-hmm. And these hippie girls, whenever he transports them and like they're kind of creepy giggling sounds too. We heard giggling before in season one. Uh both in Carrie in his lab hears giggling in the distance. Uh David in the woods hears giggling. It was like it was in his head somehow. Or time travel. They've always been there, just on the edges. Mm-hmm. These time demons, these... And I'm thinking that these g- hippie girls are somehow connected to the time demons, maybe. There's... They've been seeding th- some of these things right from the start. I really think we are going to come full circle because of that, or we're going to realize that we're full circle because of that. What do you think? Yeah, for sure. I think that, well, uh, I don't know about for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Seems plausible. Yeah. I think that whether the giggling, like, whether the giggling in season one turns out to have been the blue meanies all along or Mm -hmm. not, we have had kind of giggling on the periphery again and again and again as a motif. Mm-hmm. And I noticed these hippie girls, we keep hearing them giggle, but we don't see them giggle. No, exactly. When we see their faces, they're not laughing. And we hear the sound of them laughing, but their faces aren't laughing. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. And so we have two alternate... Like if... We have two alternate sources of the giggling mm-hmm. in these, this episode and the last one. Like, yeah. is it David's hippie commune? Is that what's going to be in season one? Or is it going to be the time demons? Mm-hmm. Or some other thing? Or all of them? Or none of them? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But I do think that this, like, unsettling giggling on the edges of things is a sign of, like, madness. Mm-hmm. Madness writ large, not necessarily mental illness, but like madcap things are unsettled. The universe doesn't make sense. Yes, exactly. When uh, when David meets the security guys, he says to them, be free. Mm-hmm. And then disintegrates them into dust. Yeah. And you made a point, such a point about the visceral bloodiness of how he kills the people on the buses. These security guys are back to dust mm-hmm. killings. 
And yep. and shooting them into space too. Doesn't he disappear them into space? Does he shoot them into space? He shoots Clark into space. Maybe one, he does. The one guy says, "Don't kill me." And he now I feel confused. Never mind. Let's not worry about it. Be free. It's it's a little bit like when he disintegrates them. It's a little bit like the all the people in the commune that he sends somewhere else. The difference between freedom and death and just existing somewhere outside of David's line of vision is like, those are all equal to him. Yeah, right? exactly, exactly. Because sending people away, sending the people away from the commune is sending them to be free. He's controlling them in the commune. So there is a sense of like, you're not going to be on my ship anymore. Be free. Where? I don't care. Dead? Mm-hmm. Whatever. All the same to me. Yeah. He really has no sense of anything outside of himself and his goal right this second. Mm-hmm. And then the, like, icy... The, like, moment of Clark sent out into space and frozen. I just... It's just, like... I mean, I assume this is... I assume this is all going to be undone next episode. I yeah. assume this is not the end of Clark. No. But, like... What a brutal end for him <laughs> you know? i mean it is like a book ending of when we first met him he was horribly burned and now he's and then he dies by being horribly frozen yeah for sure um he also says to david like i should have killed you when i first met you and david is, says yeah yeah <laughs> exactly he probably should have but i don't think he even could have back then no because when clark and david first met in that interrogation room and we didn't know Clark's name. Oh, we just called him the interrogator. Or, ha- or Hamish, which is his real name. Yeah, right. Um, that David hit him in the face with a pen. Like, he was going to kill him then? There was just no, there was no controlling David even then. Yeah, it's true. I think there's a moment, too, in this uh, scene... Where it just really struck me more than it usually has that Batonomy and the Vermilion are robots. Mm-hmm. They're acting very robot-y. Yeah. And it just struck me. Switch's dad collects robots. Batonomy and the Vermilion are robots. Is that ever gonna connect or matter? Honestly, probably not, but it probably does matter. <laughs> Right? I. They go into lockdown and they like seal themselves in the wall kind of thing and then go down. And we never see them again throughout the rest of the episode. So they're kind of like alive somehow. Like he doesn't get them at all. No. We see them in the next part you're going to recap. Do we? Yeah. What? No? Oh, yes. Sorry. In the song. Yeah. Yeah, right, right. So David and Sid are have this whole conversation. And this yeah. is the first, like... Sid is just playing the long game. Right. But she's super convincing. Yeah. But it, because I think she is still in love with him in some way. But she knows that this is... He's ending the world. He's doing bad things. He's It's like, yeah, my first thought in the moment is, is Sid really not mad anymore? Mm-hmm. Or is this 
Farouk's whole emotional intimacy, so he thinks that when you stay, so he thanks you when you stab him in the back plan. And I guess, like, we see in a few minutes that it was a trick. Yeah. But she sells it so well, and it's even really plausible because of the last episode and her conversation with her younger self, and we see her kind of reevaluate her experience with David. And maybe it really is like she's pragmatic but not mad anymore mm-hmm. so maybe she's telling the truth about i'm not mad anymore i see where you're coming from i understand but at the end she's still like despite all that i still think you need to die for the good of the world i'm just yeah. not motivated by anger anymore yeah i think that's that's true i think this is sid coming full circle from her anger she's the things she tells david are true mm-hmm. it's, yeah to, it was, a, it was what... to a point and I mean, he's a mind reader. Yeah. So these things are true. She probably is trying excessively not to think about touching him until the moment she's touching him. Right. And he says, no one who dies is really dead. Mm -hmm. And that's like the literal meaning of that is no one of the people who I killed right now is going to be really dead because I'm going to go back in time and change it. But he doesn't say no one who died in this interaction will remain dead because I will change it. He says, no one who dies is really dead. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like, uh, no one who hates me is real. Yeah, exactly. Right? I feel like it's just a continuation of him thinking he's a god. That only I'm real. Yeah. No one who dies is really dead. As long as I'm alive. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's only a slight exaggeration of what he says. Mm-hmm. Right? Absolutely. We talk about... We talk about David at the end of season two and here in season three as if it's like a heel turn. But remember that before the show started, he attacked Dr. Poole and gave him brain damage. And in the Happy Jack opening, we see him like set fire to a convenience store and yeah. we've had all along this, like, the angriest boy in the world uh, killed his mother. And we have this episode, I mean, this season, we have kind of attached that to he's internalized a sense of guilt for Gabrielle. But we don't know what actually happened to his adopted mother either. Yeah, that's true. We have seen him be violent before the show started and we have and you've said this this episode but like we have thought well that was probably Farouk's influence yeah exactly this it's it's like we're seeing in this episode more than ever that like the kind of gentle David of season one that was the out of character moment Mm mm-hmm Right? Yes, exactly, exactly. Uh, In this section as well, Carrie battling the hippie girls in the hallways. This is Carrie in the hallway again. Yeah. She's had many battle scenes in hallways. This is her, like, (laughs) defeating the, beating up the vermilion in the hallway, or the, is it vermilion? Yeah. I can't remember. Okay, anyway, in the hallway, it's... uh, Carrie's always in these liminal spaces. Yes. And she's a liminal space character herself because she exists both as a person and inside Carrie, other Carrie's body, which I suddenly realized we haven't seen them inside of each other 
this season at all. Only, like, implied when male Carrie is abducted and he's then in his mind female Carrie is there a little bit. Hmm. But that's, like, implied and in his past and it's how David is getting at him. But you're right, we haven't seen them actually, like, physically sharing a body this season. Yeah, they've really separated the two of them. The end of season one was kind of this big change for them. They stopped being together nearly as much. But anyway, yeah, Carrie is always beating people up in a hallway. Yep. Uh, So, continuing on, Sid is inside David's cave and finds dozens and dozens of Davids saying, I am Legion. As Carrie swings her sword, David gains control and stops her, sending her backwards into the wall. David talks to himself, trying to figure out how to get back into his body, and decides to take away Sid's mind so she can't trick him. He touches her and she collapses, blank eyes staring. David says he'll fix it. He finds the lab with Switch and goes to rescue her. Farouk appears and holds him in midair. They talk and Farouk tells David he is his son. Switch wakes and pushes Farouk through a door into the in-between time place. Switch asks him if the people are dead and if it bothers him, and he begins to sing. All of the cast singing What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding in their various states of deadness. (laughs) Coming back to David, he says, Okay, I'm ready. Switch says the monsters will come, and David says it's only one small change, a different plan. They go through one of Switch's doors, which flashes multiple times in multiple directions, the last showing a flash of a blue-eyed monster. And we cut to credits. David is finally Legion! Ha! It took us three seasons. It took us three seasons. (laughs) Um, Melanie in season one calls David Legion. Does but she? yeah, okay. he's legion. The world built, but like it doesn't mean anything in that context. Yeah, this is a very different meaning of that. Have we on this show explained what legion refers to? I don't think we have. Let's do that. Do you want to take it? It's like a biblical reference. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah, it's a biblical reference to. Uh, In the Gospels, which is the story of Jesus, Jesus goes to an island where there's a man who they say is uh, sick with uh, demons. He's possessed by demons. And when he talks to the man, he calls himself Legion, for the demons inside him are many. Uh, Jesus heals him and sends the Legion of Demons into a flock of pigs who then run off a cliff and fall into the Sea of Galilee. Did I get any part of that wrong, Paul? I don't think that a group of pigs is called a flock. <laughs> herd? Uh, herd. I, I would call a uh, group of pigs a herd. Murmuration of pigs. <laughs> a flock of pigs who fly away into the distance. No, sheep are a flock, so it's not just birds. But Other than that, I think you got it right. <laughs> There's 3,000 pigs is the other little detail. Mm, so, yes. like, we're many 3,000. Yeah. So Legion, I mean, and Legion in that context is a reference, 
like in the original context, why the demons call themselves legion is like a Roman legion is a amount of soldiers. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many. I'm sure it is a specific amount of soldiers, but it's like a bunch, right? Mm-hmm. So in comics, this character is called Legion because not only he has many powers, but he has many, and not only he has many personalities, he has many people inside him as if he is possessed by demons. And we see that, you know, all through the first two seasons, we saw he had Farouk possessing him like a demon possessing someone. And that seemed like... uh, in the first season, that seemed like anticlimactic for Legion. <laughs> mm-hmm. Two does not make a Legion. In season two, we saw that he has others inside him that have the same face as him. And now finally, like, payoff, it's not just three of them, right? Yep. There are, like, 3,000. We don't know how many, but mm-hmm. many, 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 many. And they all are... It's, like, kudos to the filming for this because they have dan Le- dan dan legion no dan stevens do all sorts of like different looks and different things saying i am legion like he is distinct in all of the different variations they're not all acting the same no we have a bit of a sense of david's that we've seen before mm-hmm. and like they okay so having said that again in the comics they don't usually in none of the comics i've read do they share a face with him no and they like have different identities and powers are entirely different um so they're they're going a different way with what it means but like they talk to each other and they talk about how they need david back Mm Hmm. so none of them is david well, we talked about this in the first season as well, is the mutant power seems separate from the body. Because yeah. when Sid changes with people, they, she gets their mutant power. They do not... It's not, in essence, with the... It is tied to the body. Wait, it is tied to the body. Yeah. So David in Sid's body doesn't have David's psychic powers anymore. His body has the powers. And all these many other personalities, they can use David's body. And that's why they can catch the sword. Yes, exactly. But none of them are David. Mm-hmm. They're like, we saw in the... Uh, we mentioned this in season two the closed captioning gave them names to the two like one was dvd and one was david yeah uh i don't think we need to be married to those names for those incarnations no i don't think so either but like all these different aspects of david or version none of them are david right yeah none of them calls themselves david they're other people Mm-hmm. also Sid is in, like, David's cave thing. Is that not a real place, then? Is that on the astral plane? Or, or is something? That, or both. I suppose David takes people to places that look like their houses, but aren't, but are still the astral plane. So, but that's a little bit interesting. This is some kind of psychic space that looks like a real physical space that David hangs out in a yeah, lot. Yeah, exactly. Lately, that space has been 
greeny bluey lit mm-hmm. when it has seemed like he's been physically there. Yeah. And here it's in the brown brown reds. That's true. In David's mind. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a different maybe that has always been a signal yeah, to us. Yeah, I kinda wanna look back and see when it's what color it is in different scenes. <sighs> so this scene also I just like seeing a growing sense of David's mental illness mm-hmm. and the extent of it and whether it's mental illness in like a literal sense that, that maps onto how uh, regular humans are mentally ill. It for some reason made me think of a speech from Hamlet that I'm going to read. Okie dokie. <laughs> because it's my podcast and you can't stop me. <laughs> Well, I could stop you, but I'm not going to. <laughs> you listeners, I mean. Um, Hamlet, Act 5, Scene 2. After Hamlet has done a lot of kooky stuff, <laughs> that's that's the technical term, uh, He Laertes is going to have a duel with Hamlet, and before they have a duel, Hamlet says, What I have done that might your nature, honor, and exception roughly awake, I here proclaim was madness. Was it Hamlet Wronged Laertes? Never Hamlet. If Hamlet from himself be taken away, and when he's not himself does wrong Laertes, then Hamlet does it not. Hamlet denies it. Who does it then? His madness. If it be so, Hamlet is of the faction that is wronged. His madness is poor Hamlet's enemy. Hmm... That's very, yeah, that's very similar to what is here, is that David the person is separate from David the illness, the madness. And his madness is his enemy. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think this is a path, if the show wants one, to uh, getting us back on David's side. (laughs) Yeah. Because he has done things that are irredeemable. Mm Mm-hmm. But the way to get us back on his side, if they ever want to, is his madness is poor Hamlet's enemy. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's David's not the Shadow King doesn't mean that they're not still his enemy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep, absolutely. So he, he both Daniel and now Sid, he gives like a fate worse than death. He just, like, takes away their mind, which is worse than killing them, I think. Not that they know it. Not that they know it. Yeah. That's kind of an existential question. Like, is it worse if they don't know? Has he done anything to them if they don't know that it was done? I don't know. Yes, because they're still in their human bodies that suffer. Yeah. I would say the answer is yes, but I would say that there's a philosophical perspective that would say no yeah it's not my perspective but it's a perspective that exists <laughs> yeah what do we make of farouk's confrontation with david well i mean we've talked about it a bit leading up to this but i think that uh i'm still not sure what farouk wants from david aside from what you were saying it's like maybe he is still really he really loves him he still wants to be with him he but he also somehow, I think, still wants to use him to his own ends. Does he want to kill him? 
I don't think so. I don't think so. In the same way that Sid, everything she says to David is true. Mm-hmm. But she's allowing him to misinterpret her intentions. Well, and it's also like Charles wanted to find the one other person who was like him in the world. And Farouk feels like David is the one other person that's like him in the world. That's true. He has, like, he's the only other person who can do, like, Sid's whole thing about who teaches you to be normal when you're one of a kind... Who teaches, you know, how does Farouk make a friend? Well, this guy, he can talk into his mind from space. Yeah. He's the only other person who can do that. So they want, he wants to be connected with him. He calls him his son. Yeah. He feels like he had a role in making him, but he thinks it's a good thing somehow. I can see where... I like that point that Farouk wants David for the same reason David wanted Farouk before he knew Farouk was a monster. Mm-hmm. He just wants someone. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all mi- mixed up with he also wants revenge. Yeah. And he also wants power. Mm-hmm. And he also wants to just do whatever the heck he feels like. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Farouk calls David his son, and then David wakes Switch up and calls her his child. Yeah. Like, does David really not see how much like Farouk he is? He's so much... I mean, like, everyone's calling him daddy. Yeah. And I think about Farouk in that uh, piano playing scene where he's surrounded by all these people. It's And that's what David is, surrounded by all these people. Yep. They both crave connection, but they can't get it because they can't stop themselves from manipulating everyone around them. Yes. Yeah. I think that's right. And then... Switch says, did you kill everyone? David says, you know, sort of, but we'll go back and change everything. And Switch says, that doesn't bother you? Like, Switch, the time traveler, the loneliest of all people who lives in no time but in all times, she does not see the actions of the present as irrelevant and consequenceless. Yeah, absolutely. The fact that she can go back and change things doesn't mean that the things she did in the first place don't matter. Mm -hmm. This is like existentialism again we talked about. I think we talked about existentialism a lot when we were talking about Fargo. Yes. But Noah Hawley is uh, interested in existentialism. And the idea of existentialism is there isn't a a final meaning external to our actions. I mean, it uh, is represented on the TV show Angel by -hmm. the line, if nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. Mm -hmm. And David is ends-driven. Yeah. He wants a goal and everything that happens towards that goal, as long as it achieves the goal, is justified. And the I, I said, like, he acts like nothing has consequences, but another way of putting it is that he acts like the consequences are the only thing. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Nothing has anything except consequences. Yeah. And if he can get to the point 
through time travel where the things didn't happen, then he's golden. Yeah. But Sid and Switch both, like Sid says back in episode two of this season, even if you changed everything, you'd still be the person who did that stuff. I just wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. And now Switch is like, it doesn't bother you that you kill all those people? Just because you bring them back doesn't mean it didn't happen. It doesn't mean it doesn't, like, he doesn't remember doing it. Like, he's going to remember this. And I would say Switch. I, I would say from Switch's perspective, even if he doesn't remember. Yeah. What matters is what you people. do, not whether you remember it. Yeah. Right? So his response to this, of course, as all of ours would be, is to sing a musical number. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that you have some insight into why they all sing this song because I watched it three times and I'm still at a bit of a loss as to why this song. And yeah, just go. Tell me what the heck is going on here because I feel confused. Before why this song, I want to like, there have been musical numbers several times in every season. There have been generally like a standout musical number per season i love this musical number <laughs> this is like i absolutely it is unsettling to the in the extreme the like corpses singing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i wanted to share it uh on twitter and like be like everybody in the world come watch this and then i was like out of context <laughs> Yeah. I think this is maybe not an accessible scene. If you haven't watched... Even in context! Even in context. I, I love it. I love it. Um, I saw on Twitter that this scene may have lost a few people. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. Maybe that doesn't surprise me. It is bizarre, inexplicable, and grotesque. Yeah. Um... And to, be cl- and to be clear, it didn't lose me. I just don't know how to say smart things about it. Okay. Well, I don't know if I know how to say smart <laughs> things about it, but I'll try and say some things about it. That, like, it is the question, okay? Are they all dead? That doesn't bother you. And his answer is, what's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? And they all sing along. And there's, like, a couple of things. Oh. The specific song, maybe, first of all, is less of an answer than just the musical number that they all join in on. Hmm. And the question of whether, as always in this show, like, how real is this? Does David somehow, with psychic powers, animate their corpses? Hmm. Or is this a, like, Brechtian... This is a TV show, let's have a musical number moment. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of more inclined to say the second. Yeah, same. Um, especially because there's a couple of shots that are very stagey. Yeah. Like David and Switch standing next to each other, both looking towards the curtain. Yeah. Like stagey in the sense of a stage. And Carrie and Carrie kind of like profile and straight on that's the other one i was thinking of and it fits with the two of them are the same person so they're in the same shot sing but it's also like that's very non-literal yeah and very stagey yeah so it's this moment of like 
they're all united. Mm-hmm. And they're all together. And they're singing this moment, this song together. And it's part of why I love it is I think it's beautiful, actually. Hmm. That they are divided. I mean, the, the forces of division. Not only the, the sides. Not only, like, David versus everyone. But, like, even within their group, they're at odds and alienated from each other and in tension with each other and misunderstanding each other. And then they come together in this musical number where they're just, like... Again, it's it's very literal and it's very on the nose and even uh, in danger of being cheesy. But the moment, for example, when Vermilion the two Vermilions and Batonomy and he's like, sweet harmony. And they join in on harmony. Yeah. In harmony. <laughs> and I'm like, it's cheesy. Mm-hmm. But the song itself is about like, peace, love and understanding is cheesy. It doesn't, what's so funny about peace, love and understanding, the implication of the song is like, you want to laugh at me when I say, can't we all just love each other? Mm-hmm. You want to laugh at me, but what is funny about that? It's very such an earnest song. Yeah. And it's such an earnest song that's like, wears its heart on its sleeve and is like, I don't care if you want to laugh at me. I just want us all to live in peace. Mm-hmm. And it's such a vulnerable and earnest song. And it's such a vulnerable and earnest moment for the show. Yeah. Of like, maybe we can have peace. Maybe we can understand each other. Maybe we can sing harmony on the word harmony and everybody gets their kumbayayas out. And uh, for just a moment, we pause the war. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And the people who sing, the Vermilions, uh... And our cast from season one. Yeah. And Switch. And Farouk. Yeah. Farouk sings too. Like, all these people who have drifted apart. In the last episode, we had uh, Carrie saying, we've all changed. We've all grown up. We're adults now. Everything's different. And then we have this moment of, like them coming together in a naive almost yeah appeal to uh let go of cynicism and ironic detachment and it's an expression why that so why this song in response why is this a response to are they all dead that doesn't bother you is like for a moment david lets his guard down hmm for a moment david's expression of consequences are all i want becomes a real earnest and vulnerable uh like he he stops pretending he stops posturing mm-hmm. and he says like i just want at peace with everyone and they all join in And it doesn't happen. Like, it's surreal and, yeah. and unreal. Mm-hmm. And then we move on. And it's like a pause And on. it ends with... Behind him, it turns green. 
and it's in a triangle shape. Yeah. And what we used to see in season one was triangles on David's shirt. And a green triangle meant that David was in charge. Yep. The yellow triangle was Farouk in charge. The green triangle was David in charge. And I feel like that is exactly what you're saying, which is this is David as David wanting this, but not able to have it. I don't know. Is that an answer? Was that... That was a good answer. Thank you. That (laughs) helps a little bit me feel less like, what even am I watching? I mean, I loved it. To be clear, I did love it because I was like, what am I watching? This is crazy and amazing. But also like... I have like, to say, like, that is a, one of the joys of Legion. What the heck am I watching? Yes, exactly. This is why we watch the show is because it's like so bananas. But I just was struggling with reason, with, yeah, with peace, love, and understanding. <laughs> this last, the last shot is they go into the doorway and then there's like this freaky... Switch, 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 and you see just a little flash of the blue-eyed demon. So they are coming back. Haha, you were like, they're not coming back at all, but I think they are. Prove me wrong. I guess so. I think they definitely are. I think that ending, like, of course, I guarantee they're coming back now. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Can we, we have not watched the next episode yet. We are, like, probably about to after we finish recording. Um... What, do you want to speculate wildly about what one change David wants to make? What is David's new plan? What is David's new plan? What is his That was my question at the change? end of the, my notes here. Yeah. One small change. One small change. What he wanted to do last time was stop Farouk from possessing him in the first place. Mm-hmm. Is that still what he wants to do? And what one small change would stop that from happening? Yeah. Does he want to stop himself from being born? Oh, yeah, maybe. That's my that's my only thing that I can think of that would be one change. One small change, stop himself from being born. The, my thought that I think is less good than yours is stop Charles from finding Farouk. Hmm. But I don't think that that will keep, like Charles will find Farouk again another time. Yeah. If he stops himself from being born, again, the run of comics uh, that we have episodes about ends with him erasing himself from existence. Mm-hmm. We have their episodes of Clockworks about Legion Volume 1, 2, 3, and 4 that you could go and listen to. And that... And spoiler alert. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Whoops. But that run of comics ends with him erasing himself from existence. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that might be what happens in this. Whether on purpose or inadvertently. I think if it's on purpose, it's the other way to redeem him. Yeah. I think so, too. Yeah, okay. Now I think that's what's going to (laughs) happen. Well, we will see. I mean, I don't think that's going to happen in the next episode. No. Do you have anything to say about the costumes in this episode? I do not. (laughs) All right. (laughs) So the music. So the music. The, when David is stopping the Division 3 truck at the very beginning of the episode, 
The song playing is uh, Te Kitoa by Rashid Taha. Te Kitoa, as written as the title of the song, is uh, a non-standard spelling of French Te Kitoa, which colloquially means who do you think you are, but more literally just means who are you. The lyrics are French and Arabic, and translated they are who are you? Who am I? Who aren't you? You aren't why. Don't forget that before you, there were others than you, and after you, believe me, there will be, there will be. If you're not me, who are you? Poor me. Poor me. <laughs> and more and more, but we only hear just a fraction of it, the song. Yeah. But like... It seems very thematically appropriate for David and who are you and who yeah. am I? And if you're not me, then who are you? It's both David's uh, self-centered perspective on the world and also his confusion and his uh, schizophrenia and his possession. And like this whole show has been about who are you? Yeah, exactly. When the title card plays, and as David is looking for Lenny, the song that plays is Games Without Frontiers by Peter Gabriel. And the uh, words to that... Um, Hans plays with Lottie, Lottie plays with Jane, Jane plays with Willie, Willie is happy again. Suki plays... The way I say it, Jane doesn't rhyme with again. <laughs> <laughs> um... Suki plays with Leo, Sasha plays with Brit, Adolf builds a bonfire, and Rico plays with it. Whistling tunes we hid by the dunes in the seaside. Whistling tunes were kissing baboons in the jungle. It's a knockout. If looks could kill, they probably will. In games without frontiers, war without tears. The thing- All the names yep. just kind of are happening as we're seeing all these people, right? Yes. So it kind of just like goes along with the scene, especially. Yeah, for sure. He's wandering through the crowd and he's seeing all these people and all these names are attached to them. And they're just uh, playing games without frontiers. They're playing with each other. They're happy. They're, you know. Mm-hmm. And then the end, Adolf builds a bonfire and Rico plays with it. Like, I don't know. uh Adolf is an extremely loaded name. Yes, it sure Peter is. Peter Gabriel. Yep. <laughs> I don't think it's possible to have just a neutral character named Adolf. No. Even in a as a throwaway lyric in a song. And Adolf builds a bonfire. I don't know who all these people are, whether any of the other ones are uh, associated with historical people. Mm-hmm. But the building a bonfire and playing with it... Uh, Gives a sense of danger and is associated with David and the angriest boy in the world and burning things and setting the world on fire. Um, and all these different people are associated. I mean, they suggest the crowd of people he's walking through, but they also suggest Legion. Mm-hmm. And if looks could kill, they probably will. Is also like... Appropriate for David, whose looks can kill. Mm-hmm. And then they're going to war. War without tears, I don't know. Yeah. The, 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 this is all a bit of a reach, I think, actually. But there you go. I just did it. Okay. <laughs> I just did the reaching. <laughs> um, a Pagan Place by the Water Boys, but ac- the Water Boys are sing this song, but this version is 
Noah Hawley and Jeff Russo. Right. Of course. This plays as Switch is at dinner with her father in, like, her dreams. Uh, and these words go, How did he come here? Who gave him the key? Slipped in his hand so secretly. Who put the color like lines on his face and brought him here to a pagan place? Who shot the arrow? How high did it fly? When he tipped it with poison, did he even know why? What unseen tanned brought him here, face to face to face to face, with all this and more in a pagan place? Hmm. Come into my parlor, sail in at the shore, drink my soul dry, there's always more, there's always more after. Now fly on my carpet, look into my face, and see the heart of man in a pagan, in a pagan, in a pagan, in a pagan, in a pagan. Hmm. That also seems very, like, how did he come here? Um, maybe first makes us think of how did uh, Switch come where she is. Mm -hmm. But also the, like, the idea of a pagan place and uh, tipping an arrow with poison and not even knowing why and what unseen hand brought him face to face with this. This is all, like, again, seems like a commentary on David. Yeah. On... I mean, the unseen hand that brought him to the spaceship is Farouk. It's Farouk. Yeah, definitely. The unseen hand sounds like Farouk to me. And who... Yeah, who Farouk created him in a way. And Farouk gave him the key to this current attack by calling him. But also Farouk tipped his arrow with poison. Tipped mm -hmm. David with poison. And did, we don't even know why. Yeah. And David's actions are poison and we don't even know why. Yes, exactly. And finally, What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding by Nick Lowe, most famously covered by Elvis Costello, but sung here by everybody. <laughs> and the I, must, I must say, uh, Rachel Keller has a beautiful voice. She sure does. A lot of them, they're all, they all sing well, but I mean, Rachel Keller, when she started singing, I was like, wow, she's really amazing. And we had her sing in the first season, so we already knew that. Naveed Negabend is, is not a great singer. Mm. <laughs> uh, no, remember back in the last season when they did uh, Behind Blue Eyes, he spoke his parts. Right. Yes, he did. And he still kind of speaks things here. Mm -hmm. I thought it's auto-tuned, but yeah. uh, I thought uh, Potonomy, what's his name? Yeah, uh, Wallace... Uh... Tommy Wallace is the character's name. The actor's name, I am forgetting for a Jeremy. moment. Jeremy Harris. Harris. Is it Harris? I think it's Harris. Uh, he, it is auto-tuned because he's a robot character, but yeah, I really liked his singing. Sing. I, yeah. It is clear, but despite the auto-tune, it's clear that he's a strong singer too. Mm -hmm. So all the actors are singing, but beneath them is a version of the song sung by Nick Lowe. By the way, Nick Lowe wrote the song for Elvis Costello, has never actually recorded it in a single as a single on an album or anything, um, but he performs it live a lot. And so this is from one of his live performances, and we can actually hear the crowd every once in a while. Hmm. And then, like, I've already talked about this song. Yeah. I'm just going to a little bit... 
remind you of the lyrics. As I walk through this wicked world, searching for light in the darkness of insanity, I ask myself, is all hope lost? Is there only pain and hatred and misery? And each time I feel like this inside, there's one thing I want to know. What's so funny about peace, love, and understanding? And everything I said before, but also, like, this is David's literal experience, Mm -hmm. walking through the world, searching for light in the darkness of insanity. And when he asks himself, is all hope lost? Is there only pain and hatred and misery? He's talking about within himself, not in the world. Or as well as in the world. Yep. I, this was the song, often... After an episode of Legion, I will spend a week listening to one or more of the songs over and over. Some of them end up in my rotation for years. This was the one that I kept listening to over and over, actually. I've never been particularly a fan of this song. I've heard it, kind of, but it was not like... I thought it was cheesy. But it it hit me, this performance of it somehow got Mm -hmm. me in the feels. Yep. It was really good. That's all I've got to say about the music and about this episode of Legion. How about you? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's probably things we missed, things I'll say all in a couple hours go, oh yeah, I forgot to talk about that. (laughs) Always the case. But I'll try to remember to tweet about it. Uh, Thanks everyone for continuing to listen and support us. Uh, We've been... Not on time the way we were last season, but we're still going. And thank you for continuing to listen and support us, even though we're not as on time as we were last year. I think we just need to... I'm saying this... You didn't know I was going to say this, but I'm I'm saying this right this moment. I think we just need to accept that this year we're two weeks behind. Yeah, absolutely. I think we're we not going to... We're never going to catch up. Yeah. We're two weeks behind. Yeah. That's okay, because probably you're listening to this like years later after you're like, oh, Jan and Paul had that podcast. I'm going to watch that show and listen to them. And and if you are, if that's you right now, listener, feel free to still contact us, because even though if we're done the podcast, you can still, uh, you know, add us or email us or whatever, because we'd still like to hear from you, specifically you, you. I'm talking to you right now. Yeah, absolutely. There is no statute of limitations. You can contact us on Twitter at ClockworksCast, or at our personal Twitter accounts, which you'll find by going there. <laughs> <laughs> also by email, ClockworksCast at gmail.com. If you like this show and would like us to keep making shows, we're not going to keep making Clockworks after Legion ends, I guess. I mean, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but if you'd like us to do another show when Clockworks ends, support us. You can do that on Patreon at patreon.com slash clockworkscast. And always it is wonderful if more people can hear our show because then more people hear us and that's what and we want and we that would be that would be good. Uh, so you can rate and review us and say good things about us and make us feel happy. Mm-hmm. And tell your friends and family and people on, you know, your Reddit and Facebook. Are you done? I'm done.
<laughs> Can you say that you're Paul Moffat? I'm Paul Moffat. I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. Goodbye.